Welcome back, Richard. We only have a few weeks left of May. Here we are. What is it today? The 12th? Yeah, that's right. Oh, you know why? The reminder is schools are winding down. That's right. Uh, the, 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 this academic year is uh, coming to a close. Graduations, graduation parties. That's right. That's a sure sign that's the end of the school year. Yeah, it's it's there's just a couple of weeks left. There's a there's a few weeks left of school and um, and and it's just a few weeks left of May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month. And we haven't we haven't talked about it at all because we've had a few other things that we've talked about over the last few weeks. But we thought we would spend today talking a little bit about Mental Health Awareness Month 2023. Right. Yeah, and this year's theme is look around, look within. And um, as it turns out, you and I have been doing a little bit of that in our podcasts, um, asking listeners to to consider uh, some things that we find interesting and useful um, about mental health and mental illness. And so if we look at these two things, look around, um, if you look around, you're going to recognize that people are struggling. People seem to be struggling more now than they have in in our recent memory. I mean, most people are coming in as most people say they're really, really struggling. There could be there's a couple of explanations. One is I I, I think everybody agree that we're still struggling with pandemic fatigue. Yeah. Um, not only the physical effects. Uh, there was a program this morning about long COVID. Um, you know, the biology of long COVID. Um, one of the Supreme Court justices yesterday uh, made a statement that uh, the pandemic restrictions were the greatest um, incursion into f- our freedom than, than at any time in history. Um, so it's a it's a topic that not only has physical implications, but it's exhausting us mentally to keep talking about it. And right. then the second thing is, I think this divisiveness that we feel in our country about this us versus them mentality, you know, that you're the enemy. And there, there are people saying that, that no, these, you're not just a different political party. You're my enemy and I have to destroy you. Um, it's not good enough to win the argument or to have policy, policy decisions. You're my enemy and I must defeat you. And I think that's also, I think that's also making us tired. You know, this, this constant fighting and bickering and battling. Yeah, um, I agree. Disagreements, but destruction. Yeah, and I think that the example you just gave with the Supreme Court justice is, is a great example because, you know, um, there's, of course, always going to be hindsight and and disagreements about different things. But, uh, you know, s- stating that the, you know, the, the decisions that were made during the pandemic um, and, and some of that was the was the biggest incursion on our on our, you know, independence and freedoms and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Those are very bold and divisive statements right. because mm-hmm. you, you know uh, how m- you can't you can't prove how many lives it saved to make some of those decisions. You can right. you can look and see how many negative consequences that that part is sort yeah. of easy to see, but you can't you, you can't measure how many things it prevented from right. happening. Yeah, so, people were dying by the thousands in the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, and we didn't know why, you know, people were getting into people were dying by the thousands. Somebody had to make decisive decisions. And uh, what else would you do? Just let, let people die, you know, just, yeah. just, Oh, well, we don't, we, we need to have our freedom. So we're just going to let, you know, 20 million people die. I don't, I don't know that anybody would have voted for that. Right. Right. Now the other half of the, of the, 
sort of the the mission or the the goal of Mental Health Awareness Month this year is to look within. And of course, that's something that we talk about often here on the podcast as far as looking at your own mental health and, and trying to, you know, take an active role or an active part of solving and, and finding resolution for your own mental health and, and emotional challenges that you may be experiencing. Right. And what we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that, in fact, most of us are probably not mentally ill or we don't have a mental illness. What we have is something we call existential crises. What we mean by that is these are just life challenges. I mean, you know, the air conditioner breaks and the refrigerator stops working and there's a hurricane or there's a tour. These are, you know, you run out of money before the before you run out of days. You know, um, these are life challenges that that we face. And so so if we take the first part of this is look within uh, let's take stock. Um, and there's an article that Martha Gill wrote. She's a, a writer for um, for her company. It says the definition of mental illness has widened so much that it's become almost meaningless is the title of her article. And we put that in the show notes. Um, one of the reasons this is happening, she's one of the main reasons it's happening, happening is the slow medicalization of our lives. Yeah. Okay. Lots of things make us anxious, but we don't necessarily have an anxiety disorder. I might be anxious. That doesn't mean I have anxiety as a mental health or as a mental illness. Right. Okay. But when you, and she says, when you include grief, for example, um, and there's a, uh, there was another, I, I think it's called prolonged grief. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. where, where it goes on longer than it should, whatever longer than it should means. We've included grief as a mental illness. Well, grief really isn't a mental illness. It's a it's a life crisis, you know, w- w- that we all face. But if we keep including these, I think you and I saw this with the diagnosis of autism. Mm-hmm. We put autism on a spectrum. Well, what's where's the dividing line between being shy and being and having autism? You know. I don't know where, nobody knows where that line is. Nobody can say where that is. And so we sort of normalize, if we say kids who are shy might be might have autism and we're normalizing and we're making it normal to, to have autism, you know. So you, you start to include mental wellness mm-hmm. into the definition. Right, yeah, there, there's so much, we forget that there's so much variability within normality that right. we that anything that's outside of um you know anything that is outside of comfortable we see as a, a, a mental illness or a, a health related problem you know when that's right. you mentioned autism but the same thing could be said with you know for sticking with children ADHD. the same thing could be said with ADHD you know mm-hmm. if, if a kid is having a difficult time sitting still in class well he he probably has ADHD well you know if he has learning difficulties or you know, if he's not sleeping, if he's if he's hungry, there's lots of reasons why a kid may not sit still in class. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they have ADHD, but yet, you know, depending on how adults around um, mm-hmm. interpret the behavior, it may be diagnosed with ADHD or a conduct disorder or oppositional right. defiant disorder or all kinds of other things. So we're looking to we're looking to label things mm-hmm. so quickly. Um and I think in part we, we try to do that because we want to because we want to identify what something is. And if we, we feel like if we have a name and a label for it, then we 
can come up with a strategy for something to do about it. Mm-hmm. But we can't do that without <laughs> without one of those labels. You know, right. we, we talk to families and and people all the time who have are struggles in their life. They're they're dealing with different things in their life. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily have a disorder, but we can still work on strategies and approaches for dealing with things. Right. And you know, it's not surprising that the three most common mental illnesses are ADHD, depression, and anxiety. Because I think in each case, it's really difficult to t- you know dep- take depression. Is it depression or are you just having, are you just in a slump? Um, and how do you, how do you make that distinction? So I think we need to be careful about um, pathologizing or medicalizing what are human, our human condition. Okay. And the third, the third explanation for this medicalization is that we're all beginning to use terms like bound, we have to set boundaries or this, uh, this, this serves as a trigger or I need to do self-care. So this sort of psychological language has seeped into um, our common vocabulary. And we're beginning to think that way, you know, that, that maybe I have uh, this or that, and maybe I have to set boundaries and maybe I'm, uh, you know, I have to watch out for triggers of my, well, these are sort of n- normal life conditions. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't, we shouldn't be medicalizing these things. Right. Now the good news in all this, you know, to say, you know, not, not to be afraid of, of this is there's a less stigma about uh, mental illness in general, especially what we call any mental illness like depression or anxiety or ADHD, but an effort to destigmatize, which is a good thing. We're normalizing mental illness so much that we're beginning to include people who are not mentally ill, who are mentally well. Right. Um, I think a lot of there are a lot of kids, a lot of people who are diagnosed, who get a diagnosis today, who really don't, who really aren't mentally ill. Right. Okay? Yeah. So the and bad that, news, right? Yeah. The bad news in all this right. is that we're much more tolerant and accepting of what we would call mild mental illnesses, the, 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 any mental you know, depression, anxiety, ADHD, even autism. But while that's happening, the stigma against the severely mentally ill is increasing. And, and I think we need to keep that in mind that, yes, as far as any mental illness is concerned, the mild mental illnesses, if you will, the stigma is decreasing. But with the severely mentally ill, it's increasing. Right. And, and I think with that comes this idea that whenever someone behaves badly, we, we immediately attribute it to mental illness, to mm-hmm. a serious mental illness. And we, we've, you know, we see that often with, um, you know, when we see mass shooters and, and things like that, everyone immediately goes towards mental illness. That's so right. While on one hand, we are normalizing some aspects of our mental health and, mm-hmm. and stigmatizing, you know, some common diagnoses that we see with people. Um, there's the other side that we're really pushing to, um, to stigmatize those areas that, okay, though people with that, those kind of conditions are dangerous. Right. That's right. And, and, and it's really, especially challenging and concerning when we see people, you know, if not outright talk about it, outright say it, but then you, you have, People in leadership positions who are who are exploiting that as That's a right. way to create fear 
and to to make personal gains. That's right. Yeah. Every time there's a mass shooting, some elected official gets up and says, well, this has nothing to do with guns. This is about mental illness. OK, well, you're immediately stigmatizing right. the mentally ill and you're stigmatizing the seriously mentally ill. So not only are we not solving the problem of severe and we're not solving the problem. I mean, who are who are the homeless? In most cases, they're severely mentally ill and we're not solving the homelessness. Right. We're not solving I don't even know who's addressing the seriously mentally ill. People say all the time, well, if somebody's really mentally ill, where can they go? Well, we don't have places anymore. We shut them down in the 80s. We, we closed right. the mental health hospitals. And, and, you know, we've talked about this for years, that the that the, the only mental hospital, mental health hospitals now are jails. Are jails, they're prisons, right? That's where they're, that's where they're going. I mean, right. the seriously mentally ill get their mental health care in jails. Right. Yeah. The, the, the most of the people that I've ever worked with who who have serious mental health conditions, mental illnesses, um, it was through the legal system that That's I was right. evaluating them or seeing them. And so, you know, again, we, we're not doing anything to solve those problems. What we're doing is we're saying, well, those people are dangerous or those people, mm-hmm. will, you know, do things that necessitate them to be, you know, locked away or to be. Right separated from the rest of society and we're not instead of solving that problem we're stigmatizing them and we're 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 saying that we need to stay separate from them that's right and if you think about the crime shows on tv you know if if you if you watch those those are about people with serious mental illness but it makes them scary okay and so while the destigmatization has been while while it's been good for the mild mental illnesses for those individuals with severe mental illness, things are getting worse. Okay? You know, it, it, makes me, it makes me think of, um, you know, my early research was with Tourette's disorder. Right. And, and anytime I ever told anyone that I worked with people with Tourette's disorder, um, the first thing that they talked about was something called corpulalia, which is where they um, have what with where one of their tics is to say curse words or insulting things. And um, th- there's something else called... Um, I believe it's just called corporopraxia, where you know they'll they'll do inappropriate gestures or, or things right. like that, and and because of what we've seen on in the media on TV and in, in programs and stuff, people associate automatically associate trust disorder with with this most severe form of trust. Right. The vast majority of people with trust disorder do not have that. Right. They don't have they don't have anything close to that, mm-hmm. and, but yet because of the way that we what we have seen on on tv and in the media that's yeah. immediately the image that people get when they think of Tourette's disorder and ticks right. and, and if, it's just not the case right and and if you don't if you don't know that about Tourette's then your only image of Tourette's is its most severe expression absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. right so that's so, how we get this this these pockets of of stigma where mm-hmm. we are still you know Despite the fact that we have, you know, people coming out and talking about um, mental illness in their personal lives, you know, thankfully, um, for whatever reason, you know, we put so much credit on people who are are like celebrities and people and athletes and things like that who come out and say, hey, you know, I struggle with this mental illness. Um, We I believe people need to get help for that. We really it's fantastic that that they will do that. But yet at the same time, you know, 
we stigmatize them in other areas. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Dwayne Johnson, uh, The Rock was right. the most recent. Okay. And I would, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I apologize, but Dwayne Johnson is a successful businessman and actor. Okay. Right. Now he may have had bouts of sadness, bouts of maybe even bouts of depression. I'm not sure that he was, that he really had depression because he wouldn't have been able to work and do all the things that he did if he were truly depressed. I mean, that severely depressed can't get out of bed in the morning. They can't. I mean, I, we, you and I both have patients who spent, who tell us I spent two years on the sofa. Yeah. You know, well, you, you, Dwayne Johnson is working and acting and is very skilled at what he does. Okay. Right. So is it, is it really mental illness? And I think we need to be careful when we talk about, when we say, well, I, I'm depressed or I'm anxious or I'm anything, it may not be a mental illness. It may be just your life. It just may be your life challenges. Right. Yeah. I, I was watching a program the other day and this, this, a celebrity was talking about her, her life experience and they were showing clips of her in all these different settings. And she said, you know, and I was always, you know, I always had a hard time in, in these public settings and walking into parties. And like, of course, she, when she talks about walking into parties, she's talking about walking into parties with hundreds of people. And she right. walks in and she's interacting with people and they, they, you see all these videos of it. And then she says, but then I figured everything out because I was diagnosed with autism and <laughs> that helped explain everything. And I'm, all I can think of is there is nothing <laughs> autistic of, you maybe you have some social anxiety or you have right. some, some you know you feel a little bit stressed in those situations but why are we pathologizing that Is you know that it's perfectly normal to be nervous if you're addressing an audience of 500 people yeah. I mean, even professionals get nervous professional entertainers get nervous right get stage fright um it's not abnormal right okay. so we, i think we need to be careful about that okay yeah now, the next article that we we have posted is kind of an odd. I, I don't know. This guy is kind of fun to read because there's a little bit of tongue in cheek or irony in much of what he says. But again, he pursues these same questions and he has two or three questions here that he poses in the article. And he said, is what I am feeling an ordinary aspect of the human condition or does it constitute a mental illness? Right. And he said, this is especially important when it comes to medication, because there's a great deal. There's a, there's a, there's a literature being produced today about do antidepressants really create brain changes? You know, uh, do we, do we think it's the medication and are the medications treating brain conditions or are they just numbing our feelings? Right. You know, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, I took an antidepressant. I wasn't sad, but I wasn't happy. Right. Well, if all you're doing is numbing your feelings, then is it really treating serotonin in your brain? And we, we simply don't have the answer to that question. Right. But, but is what I am feeling normal human feelings or is it pathological? Yeah. And the, the next question he asks is, you know, who decides right. somebody has a mental illness? Right. And, and, and he's not talking about, um, you know, a professional, what he's talking about is from a societal perspective, right? How is it decided that this is a mental illness and this is not a mental illness? Right. right. At what point is it that 
something is so um, pervasive or so much of an issue that it becomes that we say, okay, this is now a mental illness. Mm -hmm. We've talked before that the the new diagnostic and statistical manual, um, the DSM-5, there's a text revision, the DSM-5 TR, um, Mm -hmm. there, there are hundreds of diagnoses in that book. And, and if you look over the past 50 or 60 years, there are hundreds of more diagnoses now than there were before. And so who decides what is now a disorder and what, what's not a disorder. Right. Yeah. This whole concept of what is abnormal um, just because something is rare doesn't necessarily mean that it's abnormal. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter what we're talking about just because something is statistically rare. And Bernie, you and I say this all the time. It is statistically significant, but it may not be clinically significant. Right. Well, and that's the, um, that that goes with what you were talking about with Dwayne Johnson a moment ago. Sure. He may have, may have had periods of time where he's experienced significant depression, but how much of his functioning does it impair and so at what point does does that maybe authentic, true experience of depression, lowercase right. d, when does that turn into depression, capital D? That's right. And th- there's there's a line there that we're not sure who makes that decision. Right. And we need to be, and that's why we need to be very careful because if you take a lab, t- a blood test, for example, and, and your glucose levels are at a certain, you know, you can die, you can diagnose diabetes or other illnesses by giving a lab test, thyroid conditions, for example, you'll see an elevated level of something. So in that case, a high score does have real life implications. Okay. But uh, a higher low score on a psychological test, or even a rating scale may or may not have real life implications just because, just because your score is at a certain level, high or low, it may or may not have any clinical significance. So you just can't say, well, you have this score, so you have this diagnosis. That's not how this works. Right. Um, we can't just we can't just rely on statistical rarity, okay? Um, so we have to look at what are the real life implications? Is this person really depressed or are they just struggling with some depressive symptoms, okay? Absolutely. And most of us, and, and of course, the, if we use DSM-5, the issue becomes impairment. Something has, some part of your life has to be adversely affected in a significant way. Not that you're feeling sad. That's not an impairment. Not that you're a little bit down. That's not an impairment. You know what we're seeing today, Bernie? You can't open a website without seeing something about narcissism. Right. But a narcissist, okay? Just because somebody's an arrogant jerk doesn't mean they have a, that, that they have a narcissistic diagnosis, the diagnosis of a narcissism. Richard, I was talking to a, a patient the other day and they were they were using that that word, uh, narcissism, and, and talking about it, uh, of course, in, in negative ways, talking about it as it relates to uh, a relative. Right. And, and you know, I, I finally got to a point where I was, I said, you know, it, symptoms of, symptoms of narcissism, you know, being, mm-hmm. being confident, um, being arrogant, even um, feeling as though your answers are always the right answers, aren't isn't necessarily a, a diagnosis of anything. You know, if you think about it, um, you want your physician to be a little bit narcissistic, 
because you want your physician to say, I know what to do in this situation. Right. right. You hope that they know what to do in that situation. Right. But mm-hmm. you want them to be confident. If, if you are going to run a business, you're going to have to have some narcissism, narcissistic traits, because you, you have to be able to say, no, my company can do it better than those other companies. Right. Because right. This is what I have put in place in my company to make, to make us right. more efficient. So, yeah. Those those traits, just because a person has those traits doesn't mean that it's a problem. It, it, in fact, it could serve them very well. Yeah. Um, I think but, that I think that Tom Brady is probably pretty a pretty confident guy. Right. Or right. Wayne Gretzky or anybody you want to talk about, you know, who's 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 at that level. Right. Does that make him a narcissist? Because he's supremely confident because he can do something that the vast majority of people could never do. Does that make him a narcissist? No, <laughs> he's very good at what he does. He's not impaired. Absolutely. And and when, so when, like you said, uh, you know, talking about the issue of impairment. So the issue of impairment that comes in is when a person says, well, I, I think I have an anxiety disorder because I get really anxious anytime I'm put into this situation. And, mm-hmm. and you ask, well, what do you do when you're in that situation? Well, you know, I just take a deep breath and I just have to push through it. And then, you know, and then it gets better after it's over. Okay, that that may not necessarily be an anxiety disorder. That may be, you know, you're just that's a difficult situation for you, right. but you're able to do it. That's right. You can recognize able to do it. Then, then that's a good thing. We should be thinking when we think about anxiety disorders. We're thinking about people. You know, think of agoraphobia. People right. who lock themselves in their houses and will not leave. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, there, there's not a way to, they, you know, people who truly have some of these conditions can't just push through it. Right. And, you know, you and I, you're, you, you, I don't want to say you stumbled on it this year, but it's a recurring theme in your work the last, in the last year. Bernie, if somebody comes into our office and their life has fallen apart, we don't have to give a test. Right. To There's no need. They're already telling us my life is in a sham. I can't leave my house. Okay. I don't need to do a test. Right. To, they've already given me all I need to begin treatment. I don't have to document anything. I don't, we right. don't, maybe an insurance company or a hospital administrator needs to have a test result. But my goodness, if somebody comes into your office and tells you that, well, I haven't left the house for two years, I don't need to give a test for agoraphobia. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah I'm failing all of my classes in school. Yeah. Okay. Let's figure out, are you not doing your homework or don't you understand what's going on? Right. That doesn't yeah. require an exam. Let's just get to, let's just get to work right. on, on fixing the problem. Right. Yeah. The problem is, I mean, I know, you know, so, yeah. so that's why we have to be careful about this. These lines, where is the line between normal human condition and mental illness. And I think we're pathologizing or medicalizing what is really not a mental illness, okay? So that's what all this comes down to. Most of the time, I think it's safe to say that most of the time, most of us are experiencing life problems. We're not mentally ill. We're, we're sort of life challenged. We're not illness or we're life challenged, okay? But having said that, there are times when life challenges tip us into mental illness. The other thing is, in addition to knowing that difference and that, and we're going to talk about that in a second, there is that difference. But 
it doesn't mean that you don't treat what is garden variety sadness or the blues or anxiety. You don't need a mental health diagnosis to to um, pursue treatment to to get somebody to help you through these crises. I, yeah, and, and that that brings us back to what you know what the the whole idea of mental health awareness month is this year you know look around and look within you, mm-hmm. you look around and you see what's going on and, and you right. look, you take stock of, of what's going on inside you and, mm-hmm. and you know if you're struggling with something it doesn't right. necessarily mean that it's a diagnosis but it it may still need some support right. some treatment or some um some strategies to help you work through that mm-hmm. you can yeah. you can get you, you can go through and have therapy to help you through decisions that you need to make and, and problems that you're experiencing in life. You can do that without a diagnosis. You don't. That's right. That's right. You all need- help doesn't mean that you have a, a, a mental health problem. Right. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with getting a tune up once in a while. You know, your life is sort of going in a direction that you don't want. Well, take you stock. You don't have to have it. diabetes to say that I need to cut back on eating sugar. So much. <laughs> Good example. It's a perfect example. Yeah. And then we also ask that you not be swayed by the exploiters, the people who try to divide us and exploit us and saying, well, it's a mental illness is the issue and mental. Be careful. Don't be swayed by that. Okay. Um, mental illness is complicated and especially severe mental illnesses. There's just a great deal we don't know about them and, and we're not very good at treating them. Um, for, for, for our most mentally ill to end up in prisons says something about society, not something about mental illness. Absolutely. Um, and, and, and I think that, you know, we need to remember that mental health issues, mental illness is it's more than just an algorithm. You know, so many folks will go online and they will do these, you know, tests that you can find on on Facebook or social media, and and they'll go through and they'll take a test online and mm-hmm. they'll get a score, and that score will say, oh well, you may have you may have this condition or that condition. It, it's more than just a list of symptoms. It's right. more than just meeting criteria for on a test it, or um, getting a certain score on a test. It's more than just an algorithm. If you feel like you're experiencing some of these difficulties, talk to a professional who who can look at it and talk to you about it in a way that's going to make sense for you and and is going to help you work through whatever you're going through and 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 find some success and relief on the other side. That's right. And when you're working with your therapist, make sure that make sure that you're not rushing to that neither you nor your therapist is rushing to a diagnosis. Because as we've said many times, chances are there's an 80% chance that you're not mentally ill, okay? That that you're dealing with some some challenges, yes, but it may not be a mental illness. So don't go rushing toward mental illness. This is probably, it's more likely that it's, the probability is that it's a life challenge, okay? And that treating symptoms, just, just because you have the symptoms doesn't mean you have the illness, okay? And so we have to do more than treat symptoms. Um, so the, there's a line between mental illness and life. And, and it's, a, it's about you and your struggle. That's what, as a therapist, I'm interested in. Not your symptoms. I'm interested in your struggle, okay? Not your symptoms. I'm not interested in your test score. I'm interested in you. Symptoms, and te- they're like buoys. You know, if you're out in the ocean, you see a buoy, that means something is there. Okay, so we don't know what it is because it's underwater, 
That's all that symptoms and test scores are. They're like buoys. They tell us something is out there, but we still have to find out what it is. And that takes skill and integrity to find out what it is. Uh, absolutely. Well, that that's it, I think, for today. Um, you know, take a few minutes. Um, if it, it would be great if we could do this every day. Just take a few minutes yeah. to look around and, and look within and, and take stock a little bit in what's happening around you and what's happening mm-hmm. inside you um, and, and get the support and help that you need without necessarily you know, jumping to um, some type of pathology or some type of uh, mental illness or something right. to help you need first and see where things go from there. So, yeah, yeah. Use use May to take stock of your mental health. We use New Year's Eve to take stock of our physical health. Right. So use May to take care to, to take stock of your of your uh, mental health. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy and forget to be afraid.